Now, return to Luke chapter 16. We're going to focus upon the last part of the chapter, verses from 19 to 31, would be considered as our text this evening. So, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to the end. The title I would like to give to the meditation this evening is Heaven or Hell? Heaven or Hell? Last week we looked at the first section in this chapter, and we call that sermon the prodigal steward. He was one who initially wasted his master's goods, but he took a change in direction when his master found out what he was doing and told him that he could no longer be the steward. In other words, he was going to be out of a job. And he took measures in order to use wealth to provide for himself a home and a livelihood after his job was taken away from him. And his master commended him, not for his dishonesty, but for the simple fact that he began to prepare for the future. And as we noted, we're not going to dwell on this, but as we noted, this chapter is in some sense got a link in all of these things and the link is finance. That's the link, money, and how we use it. And as I said, the first, first part is concerned about someone who was a waster, but who changed and began to use his master's resources profitably to pay for his future. And the middle section that we're not going to look at, again, has a a financial element in it for verse 14, and the Pharisees also who were covetousness, who were covets, covetous. But now we have here in the section we are going to look at, and it mean, deals mainly with our rich man. In fact, if you read the gospel according to Luke, you will find he does actually speak a lot about rich people. We looked at it before, earlier on in chapter 12, about the rich farmer. And the rich farmer had a good crop, and he wondered what to do with it. We're not going to go over it, but this rich farmer died a rich fool. And we have here again at the very beginning in chapter, chapter 16, verse 1, there was a certain rich man. And the section we're looking at, verse 19, there was a certain rich man. And then we also have, later on in Luke, we have the rich young ruler, a man who, who seems so promising. He comes to Jesus. He goes on his knees what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And he ran away from Jesus, despondent and despairing, because Jesus told him to sell his possessions and give to the poor something he wasn't prepared to do. The rich young ruler. And then we will know all about it when we come to it. Zacchaeus, who was a rich tax collector. And therefore, we can derive from the book of Luke that Luke uses rich people to convey messages that are important, not just to rich people, but to every single one of us. And as we look at this portion of Scripture, we would seek the Lord's blessing because we acknowledge, friends, this is a terrible portion of Scripture. In what sense do we describe it as terrible? It is terrible in the sense that it speaks of awful, solemn, and sober realities. The things that are brought before us here are heartbreaking. They cause us to ponder. They cause us to stop. They cause us to think, because we're dealing with eternal realities that cannot be changed. And in this, some say it's a parable. We can't be certain, but I'm happy to call it a parable. But in this parable, we have the life and destinies of two completely different individuals. One exceedingly poor, and the other exceedingly rich. Well, there are three words that I want to use for my headings to help us fix and focus our minds upon this section of Scripture. And the three words will sum up what we find in the story or in this parable. Call it whatever you might want to call it. And the first thing we would notice, friends, is severity. Severity. And maybe when you've heard that word, maybe you're thinking about spending eternity in hell. Maybe that's what you're thinking the minister's talking about. Well, no. We'll come to that. But there is another element here that we want to look at. It's the severity of the contrast between the exceedingly rich man and the poor man. There is a, a wide difference, a great gulf between them, between a rich man who lived in luxury, affluence all the days of his life, and of a poor beggar who was laid at his gate, whom he took no interest in whatsoever. And that's a severe contrast that we want to notice right at the very beginning, because we have two individuals, and they couldn't be further apart in social standing. Couldn't be further apart. Here we have them in this passage before us. Two men, one named Lazarus, and the other, surprisingly, is nameless. We don't know his name. Now, of course, the world would know his name. The world would know all about him. He would be a great individual. He would be highly prized, and people would love to have his company. 
But as far as the Bible is concerned, he, he is nameless. Whereas the poor beggar Lazarus is known. His name is in the Word of God. We have the rich man. What do we find in verse 19? There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. It's quite remarkable, actually, how the Bible is able to paint an accurate picture in so many or so little words. But here, if you like, is this man's life mapped out for us. This man was a great man. This man would have, would have had a fine house, all the trims and the trappings of his day and age. He would have had that. But the Bible doesn't record these things for us. He, it just simply tells us he was a, a rich man. He had good clothes, and he ate well. And what else? Well, the next thing we find, he died. There's how his life is summed up by the Bible. Here is how his life is summed up by the Holy Spirit. Someone who was rich, someone who had all this world's goods, someone who ate well, who had a fine table, all the dainties of the day, he had it. And according to one commentator, when it says was clothed in purple and fine linen, that's likely to be imported from Egypt. That was his life. That's all it was. Eating, clothing, death. That's how his life is summed up. What do we know about this guy? Well, we know that he lived a life where all that mattered to him was pandering to his every need. This man was not a great criminal. This man was not a, a murderer. He was not an adulterer. He was not a violent person. He was not a thief. He was not that person that was in any sense an outcast of society. We're not to think for one minute that he uh, obtained his riches by illegitimate means. Very likely he was a hardworking individual. And what was his sin, if you like? What was it that caused him to be the way he was? It was quite simply, he was wrapped up in himself. It's not that long ago during the COVID crisis, according to the guidelines or the rules of that time, people were able to have a certain amount of people in their bubble, I think it was called. Well, here was a man who just had himself in this bubble. His world revolved around himself. We know that Lazarus was a beggar, and he was laid at the rich man's gate. And you might think, well, he never saw him. He had no dealings with him. But that's not what the Bible would teach us. Because as we go further on through the, the narrative here, for in verse 24, we find here that the rich man is in 
hell. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. He recognized this man. He was a man that he saw day after day at his gate begging. And by the account of Lazarus, he got nothing from this individual. Yet this individual saw him, saw his problem, saw his predicament, saw the fact that he was hungry and he was begging. And yet this man cared nothing about him at all, gave him nothing from his table, not even the very crumbs, not even the scraps, not even the things that he might throw out to the dogs. He wouldn't even give that to Lazarus. That's the individual that we have before us here today, someone who is totally taken up with himself, with his pleasure, pleasing himself, and not a care or thought about eternity, not a care or thought about his neighbor, nothing but himself. His whole life revolved around himself. Let us stop for a moment. Let us ask ourselves, does this describe ourselves? Does this describe you? Have you any care or thought about other people? Or does your life revolve around yourself? It's so easy, friends, to live a life where you don't care one iota about anyone else. Instead, you seek to serve yourself and please yourself. Certainly, this is the, the lifestyle of much in, in the world today. It's out for themselves and only themselves. Here then was an extremely rich man. And the contrast is between Lazarus, a certain beggar, we're told, which laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. But he got nothing. And to add insult to injury, we're told, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, some commentators would, would, would maintain that the fact that the dogs came and paid some attention to him and licked his sores would indeed be a source of comfort to Lazarus. Others would say no. And indeed, the way that the, the Greek is here, it would lend to the interpretation, moreover, to add to it, to add to his problems, to add to his agony, the dogs came and licked his sores. And if you know anything about dogs at all, you'll know that their tongues can be very rough. And the likelihood is when they licked his sores, they made his sores worse and added to his pain that he suffered day in and day out. There's the extreme contrast. There's the severity. What a great contrast is before us. One who was exceedingly rich and one who was exceedingly poor and was suffering day after day after day. Well, the second word we're to notice here from the passage is solemnity. 
solemnity. And we really find this in verses 23 to 26. What happened to them? Well, first of all, the first solemn thing that happened to them, they both died. We are told this, they both died. Verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died. Again, the beggar's taken notice of. He's the one first to die. We are, it's recorded for us in God's word. A very solemn thing. Today, the world does not like to stand up and face the reality of death. And when it comes, it wants to sanitize it. The undertaker will do all that he can and that he might make it somewhat more acceptable to people. But death is an extremely solemn event. If the Lord does not return, all of us will experience death. And we will go from this scene of time. And we will go into eternity. And we will leave everything behind. It doesn't matter how much we have or what we do not have. Whatever, we shall leave everything behind. And we will go to our long home. We will go into eternity. It's a very sobering and solemn occasion. And we're told here that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. There's no talk of him being buried. More than likely, he possibly was buried, but what we're made to understand here, there was no great palaver, no great occasion. He died. Immediately he was carried into Abraham's bosom. That's just another term for heaven itself. And in light of what has happened in recent days, we should be wise to remind ourselves that when we pass from this scene of time, the moment that we die, our spirit returns unto God who gave it in the first place. And immediately, we enter into judgment, and we receive our eternal home. The very moment that we die, the Spirit leaves the body, it returns to God, and we stand before God in our spirit, as it were, and we receive our sentence. It will be heaven or hell. This is what happened to Lazarus, carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, into heaven itself. The rich man, we're told, also died and was buried. We can be assured that it would have been a large funeral. The synagogue would have been packed. People would have had to stand outside. Here was a well-known individual. No doubt there were several rabbis there 
There would have been scripture readings. There would have been psalms sung. There would have been an eulogy. There would have been, in some sense, a great occasion. This was a great man, a rich man. His life would have been retold. Many people would have mourned his passing. There would have been great pomp and ceremony, much mourning and wailing. Much fine words would have been spoken concerning this man who had gone into eternity. His life would have been retold. And no doubt there would have been people there who would have said things like, well, he's fared well in this world, and he's sure to fare well in the world that is to come. He ate the finest of food in this world, and in the world that he's gone to, he'll be eating fine food there also. You know what happens at these things, friends. You know it. You see it. You hear it exactly the same as I do. The rich man also died and was buried. He would have had a great funeral. All that the people could do for him would be done. There would be great ceremony, no expense spared, a fine coffin, a beautiful part of the graveyard, whatever. All of these things would have been his portion. He was a rich man. What a contrast again. What a solemn occasion. But friends, he didn't go to Abraham's bosom. He didn't go to heaven. He went to another place. He went to that terrible place. He went to that place called hell. He went to that place that the Bible says has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And what a terrible place it was, he found. This was not what he expected whatsoever. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Oh, friends, what are we talking about here? We're talking about this world that is to come for some of us. This is what we're talking about. And what do we find? It's a place of torments. He didn't expect this. He expected to, be, to continue to do his fishing and to play his football or to go to the golf or whatever. This is what he expected. But oh, when he woke up in the other world, he was in torments. We don't like to be faced with these things. But these words have come to us from King Jesus. These words have come to us from the Son of God, who has come from heaven. Why does he tell us these things? Why does he tell us? He tells us these things so that we might be informed, and so that we would take measures that we would not be found in torments. Some time ago, and it happens in various periods in the, in the history of the church, ministers and theologians argue. That's what happens. There's debates. There's disputes about how the scriptures are interpreted. And some people are a bit reluctant concerning the free offer of the gospel. Others 
have a different view, and they, they argue and debate about these things. Why do I say this? Well, I say this, friends, because those who might be on different sides and have different opinions about the free offer of the gospel, do not, do not disagree about this, that here we have a well-meant warning, a well-meant warning for every single individual that we would realize that before us is heaven or hell. And heaven is all glory. It is to be in Abraham's bosom. And hell is all torments. And there's no debate, friends. There's no debate among Reformed ministers and theologians and Bible-believing students. They know the reality that we are warned about this place in order that we would not find ourselves in this place. In torments. We could argue and we could debate about these things. Is it literally flames? I cannot say. But it is torments. There's no doubt about that. Hell is not a place where you'll have parties with your friends, as some would like to tell us. Hell is not a place with that you'll enjoy being in at all. Don't think that for one moment. The Bible tells us about the resurrection body for the believer. And that body for the, for the believer is to prepare him and is suitable for his new environment. The Bible doesn't talk about the resurrection body for the unbeliever but it is implied. And when the unbeliever shall rise again, he shall be or she shall be equipped with a body that's able to be in hell forever and forever to suffer the torments of hell forever and forever. That's what we're meant to understand and believe. It is a terrible subject, friends. I'm not denying it. But it's in the Word of God, and we cannot erase it. You know, that's what people would like to do. We hear of the, the homosexual community, and they will rip parts of the Bible out concerning their uncleanness. And sadly, that kind of behavior or mentality is within the professing Christian church today. We would love some of us to erase from this Word of God the doctrine of the endless punishment of unbelievers in hell. We would like to take it out. But we dare not, because it is in God's Word. Here is an awesome and a terrible situation. He's alive. He's aware. He's in torments. And he's seen the other side. He's seen Abraham. This man here, friends, this rich man, was a Jew. This man was under the covenants. 
He heard the prophets. He had the scriptures. He had the means of grace. What does he say? He cried and said, verse 24, Father Abraham. This is not the, the speech of a Gentile. This is a speech of a Jew. What does Abraham, Abraham say in verse 25? But Abraham said, son. Here is someone who was of the covenant community. Oh, what a warning here for us, friends. What a warning. Oh, that we might examine ourselves, that we might be found in Christ on that great day. This man would have known the gospel to some extent, but he chose to ignore it. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He cries for mercy. There is no mercy. We stand here tonight and we worship of God of mercy. But the day will come when there will be no mercy. None whatsoever. Not even a drop of water. Nothing. Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Some wonder about this verse. Why was Lazarus in heaven and the rich man was in hell? Does this teach that poor people go to heaven and rich people go to hell? No, that will be completely contrary to what the Bible teaches. Lazarus was in heaven because he was a believer. Lazarus was in heaven because he was one of God's people. Lazarus was in heaven because he believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the rich man was in hell because he did not believe. That's how they found themselves in their respective long homes. And the only way to be found in heaven, friends, is to have someone to take you there. And that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. Him and him alone. There's a great gulf fixed. Those in heaven cannot go to hell. And those in hell cannot go to heaven. And this is for all eternity. This is not just for a, a lifetime. It's not just for a millennium. It's forever and ever. Is that not then solemn? Is that not absolutely terrible for us, 
Does this not, in some sense, break our hearts? This is even more solemn than death itself. Eternity to be separated from the gracious presence of God forever and ever without respite, without any hope whatsoever. This is what we're talking about. Thirdly, briefly, the third word is sufficiency. Sufficiency. We find this in verses 27 to the end. The rich man, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. We are not to think that this man became an evangelist and that he had a care and a concern for his brethren. This was a rouge. Why? He was trying to say that if he had sufficient knowledge and sufficient warning and sufficient information, he would never have gone to this place. That's what he's trying to say. When he wants his brethren to be informed of this place, what he's basically saying to Abraham is, if I had known this, I would never have come here. And the fact is I'm here because I really didn't know the terrible place that lay before me. I didn't know what it was like. I didn't know what was, what was happening at the end. And he was really trying to deflect from himself and from his own behavior. And that's why at the end in verse 31, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This man had Moses and the prophets. In other words, this man had the Old Testament. He didn't pay heed to the scriptures. He didn't pay heed to the warnings that were found even in the Old Testament. And if you won't pay attention to what we find in the Scriptures, even in the Old Testament, it will not matter. Even if someone rises from the dead, it will not change your opinion. And we know the truth of that. Isn't it not true that Jesus suffered and he died? And how many people believe in the gospel because of that? They don't. And what we have here, friends, is, is the sufficiency of Scripture, even Old Testament Scripture, the incomplete revelation of God. And therefore, we would apply this to ourselves this evening. If they have Moses and the prophets, we can add, we also have the Gospels, we also have the, the Acts of the Apostles. We have the Epistles. In fact, we have the whole of, of God's revelation to us. We have it complete. And if we're not going to listen to what we find in God's Word, it doesn't matter what miracle we see, it will not persuade us. 
this is an excuse that people put up these days. Or I would believe if I saw this. I would believe if God spoke to me. I would believe if God did this or that. We're not going to get that kind of request granted. We have God's word. That's sufficient. If we will not listen to Moses, if we will not listen to the prophets, if we'll not listen to the apostles, we will not be persuaded. Friends, when life is all over and you have passed into eternity, you will find yourself in one of two places, heaven or hell. Where will you be? Severity, solemnity, sufficiency. Come, therefore, avail yourself of Christ. Come, believe upon him who suffered the pains of hell in order that you might not. Come and believe upon him that one who died and gave his life that you might have eternal life. Amen.